Hello and welcome. This is Megaphone Podcast. This is season two, episode number two. My name is Jakub and I will be your host during this audition. Through this podcast, we aim to show you new trends, threads and solutions which are made by civic activists all around the world. We look for things which were not discussed before, bringing you knowledge and inspiration for your work. Today, our guest is Tamar Wilner. Tamar is a journalism advisor to the science fact-checking website MetaFact and a PhD student in journalism at the University of Texas at Austin. Tamara's research focuses on misinformation, media credibility, news literacy, and health. She developed expertise in these areas while writing for outlets including the Columbia Journalism Review and Pointer.org, as well as consulting for organizations including the American Press Institute, Stony Brook University Center for News Literacy, and international development nonprofit IREX. Tamara is also co-creator of an online news literacy game, PostFacto. So we are here in Sarajevo, in the capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina, on the occasion of 8th Point. Um, I heard a lot of good things about this event. It's organized by my good friends, but frankly, I have I have never had a chance and pleasure to be here. And when I got here, there's a lot of podcasts, and I'm here with our next guest. Hello. Hello. Great. So um, did you have any chance to uh, walk around Sarajevo at least a bit? Um, uh, hardly any yet. I just just got in yesterday and uh, was pretty exhausted from my trip, but uh, just around the hotel. It's very beautiful. Great. Uh, so if you could just tell us a little bit about your work and what actually brought you here by free flights to Sarajevo. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so um, I am a uh, doctoral student at the University of Texas, and um, my research focuses on misinformation, uh, news credibility, and news literacy. Um, and I'm also an advisor to uh, Medifact. Um, so my work there um, also has to do with, I mean, I don't know, do you want me to talk, talk yes, a little bit a about little what Medifact is? Please, please, please. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, Metafact is a uh, science fact-checking website, mm -hmm. um, and the way it works is members of the public uh, pose questions, and uh, we have a bank of 11,000 experts, um, and we reach out to experts who are relevant to the topic at hand and ask them to um, answer the question on anything from vaccines to vitamins to um, climate change to... Um, mammography, um, anything really health and science related. And we uh, put those answers from the experts together. Um, we post them and it, we use it to create a consensus score. So it shows um, basically do most of the experts think that um, the answer to this question is positive or negative or is it somewhere in the middle? Um, so I'm an advisor to them um, and, uh, and I do that alongside with my uh, my PhD work. So those are my, my two main things. Okay, well, <laughs> so first thing which caught my uh, attention is the Texas thing. So that explains mm. this one extra flight, I guess, yes? Uh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> takes a little longer. <laughs> uh, okay, so for how long have you been doing this, um, uh, this work? Um, so I'm just in the first year of my okay. PhD, um, but I've been studying uh, misinformation and related issues since about uh, 2014. I was a journalist for about 15 years, and I worked um, 
as a freelancer. Originally, I was writing about things like um, the environment and sustainable business, but I became really interested in the topic of misinformation. Why? And, um, you, you, you are misinformed? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all probably misinformed on some things. Um, we don't want to think it's always other people, but... Um, I guess, uh, you know, I was listening to a lot of podcasts on um, uh, skepticism and the media and um, just hearing a lot of um, evidence that, that people were misinformed about certain issues, whether it was vaccines or climate change or um, alternative health cures, um, things like that, and just became sort of fascinated with how a misperception could be very widespread and, and the way that that was facilitated by uh, social media and, and modern technology. So was just kind of fascinated for, by that for a long time and wasn't sure how to approach it. But I just started writing about um, these kind of issues for outlets that covered the media and kind of did that more and more and eventually decided, well, you know, writing about it isn't quite enough. I wanted to, because um, I was writing about other people's research and I wanted to do research of my own. So that's when I started going into to grad school and going in that direction. That is a very interesting uh, career path, to be honest. <laughs> it's not, not very often actually journalists go into more into more into science, I would mm. say these days, you know, I would say more into more, more into other jobs. Okay. So uh, you wanted to do your own research uh, and so tell us more in detail about what you're currently or what you have done, what kind of research you have done in the past. Okay, um, so I've, I've taken a number of different approaches um, to studying misinformation and um, uh, <laughs> frankly I probably, as I move towards my dissertation, need to, need to try and concentrate on yeah. one, but there's so many aspects to the problem that are interesting. Um, so... I'm doing one topic, uh, one study uh, currently that is looking at um, the prevalence of misinformation about cancer on Pinterest. Pinterest has actually been, they've been um, somewhat, some might argue a little bit more active than other um, social media companies in watching out for and trying to control misinformation on their platform. But I think this is one area that um, it's not as doesn't get as much attention as something like vaccines, but there's a lot of misinformation out there about it, uh, about like alternative health cures and things like that. Um, so that's but but Pinterest is like a, a, like a visual platform. Yeah. So how does it how does it manifest itself? Let's say in well, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of infographics, okay. um, and there's a lot of just kind of in a way sort of placeholder graphics that then connect people to blogs where it goes into more detail. So it it's interesting. It's uh, People think of Pinterest as being kind of like lifestyle and crafts and things, but there's a lot of uh, information people share about health on there as well. That's one of the most popular categories. Interesting. I didn't know but Pinterest was still active, to be honest, as a yeah. platform. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, it's definitely not as large as Facebook, um, but it's, uh, it's still one of the largest ones. It's very, it's also very popular among women. Um, so if you're talking about something like um, breast cancer, which, mm -hmm. which I've been looking at, then it, um, it's certainly relevant to look at and that. And do you have an idea how this, how is this misinformation being created, whether it's intentional or it just, I don't know someone's like uh, lack of knowledge or I don't know, stupidity. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good question. Um, I think it varies depending on the topic. 
Um, so I think like if you're talking about um, uh, things like alternative health cures, um, a lot of, well, I guess I should take a step back and say any misinformation can go through several stages of of transmission and, and dissemination. So it could be created by someone who has one purpose and then be passed on by someone else who has another purpose. Uh, a lot of times the people who pass on misinformation are um, really well-meaning and they, they, they pass it on because they believe that it's true. Um, that might not, that may or may not be true for the person who created the misinformation. Uh, so I would say with alternative health cures, I think a lot of times it is people who believe that this is um, correct information and uh, um, believe this is information that more people need access to. With something like climate change, I think it's a lot more manufactured. Um, we've seen we've seen the involvement of uh, oil companies and their associated lobbies in creating misinformation um, re- related to climate change, and and especially. Uh, I mean, I don't know ex- how much. I, I don't know a lot about the shape that it takes in other countries. In the U.S., a lot of times it's um, conservative lobbies, um, conservative. Um, uh, political organizations that spread this information. So different yeah, I mean, different I, shapes for different. <laughs> yeah, I guess in many cases also. I mean, depending on the country, I guess uh, some governments also may like to yes. create their own version of misinformation. And I do think that, you know, probably there is like those hot topics where there is more um, misinformation created to really misinform, like with this, this motive behind, uh, mm. uh, behind someone's purpose. And then, then there is many other things which are currently being thrown into this. Um, well, a couple of keywords. One is misinformation. The other one is fake news. Mm. You know, so it's. And I see this uh, that a lot. There is a lot, even on point. A lot of a lot of talk about fake news. But uh, that is a topic for another podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So, um, what are you going to be talk? Uh, what are you going to talk about here in Sarajevo? Um, so I'm going to be talking about mm. how to counter misinformation mm-hmm. about science. Okay. Um, what to do? What fight science with science? Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, the science of science misinformation. Okay. Um, so what to do? What not to do? Um, uh, I guess. I mean, I I can mm. present spoilers here. <laughs> yes, it's going to be released anyhow, long after you have presented. So yes. No worries. <laughs> um, it's. I mean, a lot yeah. of things. Are, yeah. These things are no secret, mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. not the first to talk about mm-hmm. them. But. Um, uh, things like, I mean, the number one thing that I would that I'm going to be saying is, um, don't talk about people like they're stupid, or mm-hmm. don't. I mean, the worst thing is to actually call people stupid, mm-hmm. right? That's unfortunately, it was actually very easy for me to find examples, mm-hmm. not just from. I thought I might have to look at Facebook comments. No, I could, I found examples from recent news headlines of people mm-hmm. saying. Uh, people who um, are anti-vaxxers are stupid. Uh, people who don't believe in climate change are stupid. Um, and it's, you know, it's really, it's not productive, first of all, because who's going to change their mind based on you calling them stupid? Um, and <laughs> and also, it's it's not true. Um, so if you look at the, at the, the data, um, if you look at some research that's been done about people who believe in um, certain kinds of misinformation, they're just as well educated and uh, actually, when we have, um, when we are um, better at using our cognitive resources, we're, we can sort of muster our brain cells to 
um, argue whatever it is that we believe. And if that is misinformation, then we are better at convincing ourselves that the misinformation is true. So um, stupidity really doesn't play into it. So that's that's one point. Um, there's going to be you know a number of, of other points about things like mm-hmm. uh, how to use graphics effectively, um, um, not not repeating the the myth when you're um, when you're correct pe- correcting people because a lot of times um, if you say myth the measles vaccine causes autism mm-hmm. or even if you put in big headlines the measles vaccine does not cause autism our brain actually processes the the negative um, separately from the rest of the statement and sometimes the negative j- can just fall away so what you might remember is vaccines cause autism which is not what we want people to remember. <laughs> Yeah, that is a tactic which I use with kids, you know, never say no, just say, yeah. just just name the action in a positive way. So like, don't do this, never works. It's more encouraging. So I see it also repeats itself here. Okay, but I wanted basically to stop for a second about what you said about uh, not calling people stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you then talk to people? Um, well, I think the basics are to treat people with respect, um, to think about how they describes how they would describe themselves and to reflect that language. So um, actually, I'm, I think I've been guilty of it myself. I probably, I think I may have just used the word anti-vaxxer. And, um, you know, maybe there are some people who don't vaccinate who do consider themselves anti-vaxxer. Um, there's a lot more people who are on the fence or are just unsure. Um, they... Um, they are questioning, or they might say, "You know, I wanted to do all the vaccines. I just want to do them at a slower pace." Um, and that's that's very common. There's a there's a whole spectrum of points of view. So not going in there assuming that someone um, has a particular point of view or that you know how they would describe themselves, um, and certainly not using the most extreme word to describe them, but basically assessing where where are they, you know. Have they made up their mind? Are they against vaccines because they think they think it causes autism or some other reason? Um, you you find other reasons. When you do when you do your research, do you talk to people, or do you more analyze and just uh, it's online presence? I I personally haven't done um, research where I talk to people mm-hmm. about their misperceptions, um, but there are there's a lot of great research along those lines. Um, I think there, there's definitely scope to do more. Um, there's even in research, there's often the presumption that sometimes that we know um, how people feel, or or we might categorize people according to very broad brush. Um, you know, especially if we're doing quantitative research, we we might um, just assess whether someone believes something um, strongly or. Um, or disbelieves it, or or somewhere in between, but that doesn't capture the full range of how people think about an issue. So I think qualitative research and and also journalism and talking to people is very important to assess um, to try and get an understanding of why people hold some of these points of view. Okay, interesting. Okay, so um, do you have some more points after like, because um, you said one and that was not calling people stupid. And <laughs> just briefly. Yeah. So one more spoiler from the presentation. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, another one has to do with um, a process called motivated reasoning, mm-hmm. um, which basically says when we, um, when we process information 
and we formulate arguments for or against, or we try and figure out what to believe, um, we can. We usually have one of two aims in mind. Either we're aiming to assess the accuracy of the information, or we have this. This is a bit vague, but in the literature they call it, they call it directionally driven motivated reasoning. So what does that mean? A lot of times the direction that we're driven in is to protect our identity, our sense of self, and our membership in certain groups. So to give an example, if um, this is an example from the presentation, there was a headline that said um, something like, uh, these are seven reasons that climate change is true no matter what Trump says. Now the problem is if you're trying to um, trying to convince people who are Trump supporters, as soon as you say Trump, that taps into their identity as Trump supporters. They they are going to start to reason in such a way to support that identity. So they're going to find all the reasons why uh, your argument is wrong, mm-hmm. um, why they are right to believe uh, that climate change isn't happening, and so forth. Um, if you avoid, and it's not it's not foolproof. It's not completely either or. But you at least have a chance if you avoid triggering people's identities and their sense of self and their sense of membership in those communities. So if if you don't mention Trump, but you instead say, um, you know, here here are the facts on climate change. Believe me, there's a lot of people who are set in their ways. I'm not saying that it's uh, it's a magic bullet, but you have a chance. Um, you have a chance to actually engage with people in terms of. Um, their willingness to think about what is accurate as opposed to what is what is going to support their identities. That is very interesting, to be mm-hmm. honest, because I am actually thinking a lot about it. Also, uh, taking this from, um, let's say, my, my country's example, because I am from Poland, we are quite often, uh, while working on, on stories, thinking basically that many of the stories we do are actually very much combined with what people believe in and that yeah. is very much transferring into their identity. So on one hand, how do we create some kind of environment where we can actually talk with the audience or like maybe not even talk, but create a, like, you know, an existing but uh, mental space where it is, where both sides know that, okay, here we are, we should doubt at least some things, mm. you know, the same way you doubt us maybe be without you a little but that 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 kind of creates a space where we can discuss and we have done some things with relating to migration and refugees because that is one of the topics which is well highly spiking a lot of uh, different debates in Poland the, um, whether it comes about letting people in whether it comes to uh, creating a lot of false narratives about uh, about refugees in general, uh, and just using that um, migrants as a, you know, uh, in many countries these days, basically, we said that migration is top three uh, topic when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, just different forms. Of course, there's it, it manifests itself different in US than, than it does in Poland, but on yeah. a meta level, it's it's um, it's, a, it's a very important topic. And I remember that situation in 2015 when when there was the migrant crisis in Europe, and uh, they were basically uh, something which, in my personal opinion, uh, has created a lot of problems, is that there were two sides, of course, because highly polarized society. And the conservative side was like, don't take them in, 
and mm -hmm. the liberal side was let's help them. But then what happened was that there was immediate association that you are a good person if you let in refugees, mm -hmm. you are a bad person if you don't do it. Mm -hmm. So immediately those two, well, everything was two associated. Positions. Two, two positions, exactly. Those were the only two positions and they were immediately associated with some kind of like you're good or bad. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, what was actually lacking was a lot of information for people, mm. especially those people who were like unsure, you know, wanting more information. And they were like, okay, we're not bad people. Uh, so that re refers to the, because when you said don't call them stupid, I kind of, this, this remind me immediately about mm. this situation, calling someone bad, you yeah. know, because you don't want to take a certain action, mm. which is... Um, in that particular moment, f favored by uh, more liberal media and um, and uh, well, and everybody who is, let's say, in this in this circle of the society. So this is really interesting. So um, yeah, sorry for that long comment. This no, is your, your yeah, interview, but no, no. But this yeah. is really actually really tricky because I actually, and maybe you can help me or maybe not because this is something what I think you know many people trying to think about is basically how do we take the debate offline. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that by this time, most of the people have um, given up on trying to have a meaningful conversation online. Mm -hmm. And then basically, how do we create different spaces where we can talk to people who have different beliefs, who have different positions, who, I don't know, maybe even, um, well, who have different identities, but so, so we can talk, you know, yeah. in terms of like, it's at the same time respectful, but not always that, you know, just we sit and we all agree at, immediately at the same thing. We just, yeah. you know, argue. Do you have um, maybe any thoughts on this? Um, I think yeah. um, a few journalism organizations mm. have actually kind of pioneered in this space. Um, it's becoming more popular for uh, journalism outlets mm. to uh, hold in-person events. And I've read about a few examples where they've... Um, specifically sought to bring together people from um, different camps to have a productive conversation. Uh, I'm, you know, I think every, um, you know, every area has its experts. And I suppose um, this is really an area of expertise mm -hmm. for people in um, reconciliation and um, uh, community dialogue and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, but um, certainly it seems like there's some interesting efforts in, okay, in that area. Good. <laughs> okay, uh, we diverted a little bit. No, and I wanted okay. to I wanted to come back uh, to one more fact about you, actually to a post-facto. Uh, oh, if, okay. if you could uh, take us through this, uh, this game and tell us a little bit about it, that would be wonderful. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, so I created yeah. this game uh, together with um, game designer Amanda Warner. Mm -hmm. um, and what we wanted to do was... Uh, basically, I was inspired because I encountered a lot of times on um, Facebook that friends would post something and say, is this true? Or sometimes they would say, Tamar, is this true? Um, and I was getting frustrated because sometimes I thought, I'm pretty sure that you have the skills to figure out whether this is true. It's just you don't have the confidence or maybe I just need to show you one or two quick things, but then you could do it yourself. So I wanted to come up with a game that would teach people some verification skills so they would be able to verify whether a piece of news coming across their radar was true or not. Uh, so what this does is it shows people, it's um, an actual story that I um, found on social media, and it shows them the headline, uh, 
first it asks them to conduct a gut check. Um, so to basically check in with their emotions and say, how is the story trying to make you feel? Um, I think that that is one of the key um, signals for uh, a piece of um, misinformation or fake news is that it it's trying to make you feel a certain way rather than just giving you information. Um, and then it has them uh, conduct a series of uh, verification steps um, to try and verify the story. So it, they look at um, the pictures, they do a reverse image search to see whether the pictures have been used before. Um, they look at um, the, the byline on the story. Does it have a proper byline? They look at the locations that are cited in the story. Are those locations actually, if we use Google Maps, are they uh, where they are supposed to be? Does it sort of make sense in the context of the story? Um, so they conduct these this series of steps, and then gradually there's a um, there's kind of a um, uh, a story to the game, which is that there's this robot that's spreading the misinformation and you're trying to stop him uh, in case it's not true. So eventually you find enough pieces of evidence, you stop the robot and it says, you know, well done. He only spread it <laughs> a certain number of times. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just just basically to um, try and introduce some of those skills that hopefully um, people could use more often to uh, evaluate the, the stories that they see. Okay. And what was the feedback you received after uh, releasing the game? Um, pretty good feedback. I mean, it seems like people enjoyed playing it and um, they, they learned from uh, playing it. Uh, actually, it's, it's interesting. I, um, I've been testing the story as part of um, a project, as part of my PhD. And so far, actually, on a, um, the, the first experiment that I ran testing it, I didn't see that it had that much effect. And I'm not sure whether I haven't got the right questions in my, um, in my tool that I'm using to uh, assess the feedback, um, or maybe there's more that the game needs to be doing. It's also that people, um, you know, they play the game for about 10 minutes in the experiment. It's hard to uh, engage people in experiment for much longer than that, unless you have a lot of a lot of money to, to pay them with, um, and uh, so that could be part of the problem as well. Um, that it doesn't take uh, that when people spend just a few minutes on a task, maybe it doesn't make that much difference. What what I found actually makes more of a difference in people's um, people's performance on this news literacy test is uh, how much education they've had. So um, I know that sounds a little inconsistent. Earlier I was saying, well, pe <laughs> people aren't stupid. Uh, news, uh, misinformation doesn't spread because people are uh, miseducated. It's, I think it's complicated. Um, we're still not sure exactly what the, the role of education is. It does seem like critical thinking could have some bearing on people, um, on their ability to assess um, a piece of news um, but overall, certain pieces, certain types of misinformation are so politically driven when we talk about things like vaccines and climate mm -hmm. change, um, that those are, they're so politically driven that a lot of times that does override education. So there's a bit of, it's a very, it's, I wish I had a clearer picture. It's mm -hmm. a very, uh, complicated picture and we're still trying to figure it out. I see. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, now taking this, what you do, and now, um, how do you think um, your work and more general uh, work done by journalists can be somewhat maybe matched? Or how would you, I'm trying to talk about the 
point basically and mm -hmm. the, the 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 conference where there is many events especially in Europe around civic tech and mm -hmm. about uh, civic space and for 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 a long time uh journalist community has its uh, had it had it uh, its own gatherings mm -hmm. and uh civic space people they had their own events and only mm -hmm. just recently we see some kind of overlap in terms of like speakers, uh, more journalists going here to point, more people who are doing uh, working in a civic space. I'm not using the, uh, the term activist also on purpose here, but mm. a lot of people who does. Because, the, for example, news literacy and, uh, and for example, the game you did, I mean, you, your arrival to it was from a journalism background. Mm. But then in like the civic community, uh, civic tech community, there's also a, a lot of work done um, around uh, well fighting misinformation for sure and then getting people more engaged and news, news literacy is something what everybody is like well trying to figure out you know mm. there's a lot a lot of talk that i think everyone is in agreement that we need it now the question is how do we want to accomplish it and i guess the one thing everybody is not happy about that is actually a long process mm. and everybody would want to just have one quick solution and then just go it okay so to rephrase my question uh mm -hmm. How do you see possibilities of journalists and civic tech and or um, people who work in various civic organizations? Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to work together there. Um, and I guess I think misinformation has been, especially since 2016, mm -hmm. um, when it kind of exploded onto the uh, into the consciousness and a lot of people started talking about it more. I think it has um, been actually relatively successful as a space where civic tech and um, journalism mm -hmm. have been able to come together and um, try and come up with joint solutions. So you have examples of um, like, uh, I, I think there's a great example of uh, First Draft News, mm -hmm. which is, um, it started as its own uh, nonprofit and was uh, absorbed by uh Harvard's, uh, I think it's the Shorenstein Center at Harvard. Um, and what what they created was a, a collaboration platform um, that allows um, journalism organizations to come together and uh, help each other debunk or verify um, pieces of, of information that might be misinformation. So that was an example of, I mean, there's the, the leaders of that organization have background in academia um, and nonprofit sector, but also a lot of connections to the journalism world. And I think they were able to really bring those worlds together. There's another organization, actually, I guess, I, I guess what I would, you know, maybe I would insert when we talk about civic tech or, or activism and journalism, maybe I would insert in there as like the third leg academia, because it seems like a lot of these efforts kind of bring the three um, together. So there's another organization called the Trust Project, mm -hmm. um, which is based at a university in California. And, um, you know, even though they're based in an academic setting, they were able to work with both um, news organizations and with social media platforms. And what they've done is created a series of um, trust or credibility indicators that can identify uh, news organizations that that are uh, more worthy of our, our credibility or trust. And um, they've um, and they're now working with uh, with Facebook to get these these signals to feed into uh, Facebook rankings. So I mean, a lot of times it, it takes either these people having a background in multiple um, 
camps or or just being able to cultivate those connections. But it seems like there's a lot of examples of um, people coming together across um, from from various fields in order to come up with solutions because it it has to really it has to be interdisciplinary, especially when we talk about the way that. Um, in order to survive and and be read and reach an audience, journalism, unfortunately, mm-hmm. fortunately or unfortunately, it needs tech uh, these days, and it, it cannot stand alone. So it's got to be an interdisciplinary solution. Okay, and uh, my last question is: Would be how do you think your your work, your research, can be taken by people who work sp- specifically here in this region, in the Central and Eastern Europe or South? There's a couple of regions, but by people in from this part of the world and help uh, their efforts. Um, I think that a lot of the principles that I talked about are universal, but they're manifested differently. So, um, you know, you might find that maybe um, on the topic of vaccines that um, the people who distrust vaccines or are hesitant about vaccines align with certain um, political parties or with certain identities. And it's it's a matter of trying to identify wh- where is it that, that those lines fall. Um, because as much as you can understand about where people are coming from and the identities that get triggered when you talk about a particular topic, um, the more that will help you to communicate effectively. Um, so you know, you probably understand much more of that than, mm-hmm. than I do, unfortunately, um, in terms of, you know, understanding where those fault lines uh, fall. But I think um, just it's a matter of applying the same principles, but just looking for um, where those lines fall in, in the, uh, the local context. Okay, great. Thank you very much for finding time to talk to us. Okay, thank you very much.